What can a chunk of extraterrestrial iron you can hold in your hand tell us about the solar system? I'm Meg Rosenberg, and today's Physics Central podcast takes a closer look at iron meteorites and what their delicate crystal patterns reveal about their cosmic origins and violent past. If someone asks you to picture a meteorite, you're probably going to imagine a black, heavy, alien-looking space rock with a strange, pitted surface that is an iron meteorite. Now, not all meteorites look like that, but there's a reason why that's the most common perception. Iron meteorites are actually the rarest of all of the meteorites from the asteroid belt, but they're very overrepresented in collections because they are so distinct from Earth rocks. That's geochemist and meteorite expert Dr. Melanie Channon. In the broadest sense, they're divided into two different groups. So you have the kind that have been melted, anything that's from a planetary body that was big enough to differentiate into a core mantle crust. When a planetary body is growing by accreting lots and lots of smaller bits, it eventually gets big enough and hot enough that its own self-gravity allows for an internal reorganization. The denser stuff ends up in the center, and the lighter stuff stays on the outside. That's called planetary differentiation. So some meteorites come from parent bodies that have gone through that process. And then you have the unmelted ones. So you have the chondrites, which are the primitive meteorites that preserve the history of the solar system. These guys are really useful because they're relatively pristine. They tell us about the abundances of elements that existed in the pre-solar nebula, out of which the sun, the planets, and ultimately you and I and Dr. Channon formed. They're called chondrites because they contain chondrules, which are little melted droplets, which they think are the second things to have formed in the solar system. And they're the most common, but they're harder to find they just look like regular rocks. So even though iron meteorites are rare overall, their alien appearance and high density screams extraterrestrial, which makes them much more likely to be picked up. But why are they relatively rare to begin with? Iron meteorites are basically the cores of planetesimals that were large enough to differentiate into a core mantle and crust, and then later destroyed so that they were broken up and then eventually land on Earth, and then we get to find them and study them. The chunk of iron that we encounter as a meteorite, and they can be huge, like the Hoba meteorite, which weighs more than 60 tons, is really just a tiny piece of the much larger original body. So how large was the parent body? Well, it turns out that in many cases, we can answer that question with a little knowledge of phase diagrams. In 1804, G. Thompson carefully polished a slice of a meteorite and, to prevent rust, coated it with nitric acid. To his surprise, markings began to appear before his eyes as the acid etched distinct and regular bands, or lamellae, that intersected in a geometric pattern. He didn't know that he was holding a chip off a protoplanetary core, but he had just discovered a convincing proof of meteorites' extraterrestrial origins. These patterns, known as Thompson or Widmanstaten structures, form thanks to the specific chemical composition and cooling history of the iron meteorites. Well, so first of all, they're really high in iron and nickel, same as the Earth's core. So if you look at the phase diagram, at high temperatures, the nickel and iron are happy to be together in the same phase, which is taonite. And then once you cool at a certain point, depending on the nickel content, then they're no longer as happy being together. And so the nickel will actually diffuse out 
of the part that it's not happy in. And then that will actually become camasite, which is the lamellae that makes the designs. Tannite and camasite are two different types or phases of nickel iron, and they have slightly different crystal structures that are favored under different conditions. Phase diagrams are a graphical way of describing which phases are expected to form under which circumstances. The phase diagram for water, for example, can tell you whether you'd expect ice cubes to melt or stay solid, depending on the temperature and pressure that you're at. The nickel-iron phase diagram works the same way, except there's another very important variable, the proportion of nickel to iron that you start out with. Most people, the way they think about phase diagrams is you have pressure versus temperature. You know, like water is the most common one. And you can look at what phases should be present at various temperatures and pressures. But actually for geochemists and petrologists, we usually choose a pressure that is relevant to what we're looking at. And so if we're looking at a magma chamber, we'll choose a pressure that's relevant to that. If we're looking at the core, we'll choose a pressure that's relevant to that. And then we'll actually change the dimension that you're looking at it in to composition. Because a lot of phases that crystallize out will depend on the composition of the overall material. So the relevant nickel-iron phase diagram shows temperature on the vertical axis plotted against nickel content on the horizontal one. And now you can imagine what's happening in the core of our nascent planetesimal as it cools down over time. For a certain range of nickel contents, roughly a few percent to about 20%, taonite and camasite form a solid solution at temperatures of 700 degrees Celsius down to about 450. That's when these Thomson-Widmanstaten structures can form, as nickel atoms diffuse out of taonite to form bands of camasite. This diffusion happens very slowly, over millions of years, which is why the presence of these interlocking bands is a pretty good indication that these meteorites came from space and not somebody's laboratory. But the pattern is useful beyond basic identification. We can use it to tell the rate of cooling of the planetesimal. In general, the width of the lamellae of that camasite is proportional to the cooling rate. So if they're really wide, presumably it was a really slow cooling, and if they're smaller, presumably it cooled really quickly. By measuring the width of the camasite lamellae, you can use the nickel-iron phase diagram to back out the rate at which the protoplanetary core cooled. And if you can do that, you can also estimate the original size of the parent body thanks to the physics of heat conduction. If you set out a turkey for Thanksgiving dinner at the same time as a roasted chicken, that chicken is going to cool off a lot faster than the turkey just because it's smaller. The same laws of conduction apply to planetesimals, but they're much bigger and they cool down much more slowly than your turkey dinner. Detailed estimates of these extremely low cooling rates tells us that many of these iron meteorites came from parent bodies hundreds of kilometers in diameter. Of course, not every iron meteorite exhibits these structures. If it's a really high nickel content, they can also be really small or absent just because you have to reach such a low cooling rate for them to start forming. And by that time, it's almost too cool for nucleation to really begin. And if the nickel content is too low, then you lose the taonite phase altogether. But for samples in that Goldilocks range in between, you can hold in your hand the very heart of a once mighty planetesimal, broken up and flung across the cold expanse of space to land on the Earth. And it can tell you about that journey. I know, it's crazy. It's really cool. <laughs> 
Thanks for listening to the Physics Central podcast. I'm Meg Rosenberg, and you can find more information on iron meteorites and phase diagrams on our website, physicsbuzz.physicscentral.com. Thank you.